Find 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're new with us tonight, and we do have some Awana parents back with us tonight for the year, good to see them. But if you're back with us for the first time tonight in several weeks or months, we've been in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And tonight we're kind of rapidly drawing things to a close here. And we're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I am only going to read tonight from verses 1 to 5. Okay? And focus mainly on verses 1 to 3. And we're going to look at the partnership tonight between prayer and preaching. The partnership between prayer and preaching. What we're going to look at tonight. I'm going to be reading this evening from the CSB. I saw a report today in Christianity Today that it has actually jumped to number two on Bible translation list. NIV and then CSB. Um, so anyway, um, it's very good translation. Uh, actually, it's a Southern Baptist-led effort, the CSB. So uh, look with me at verse 1. Paul says there, In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Folks, I want you to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus said there, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, Jesus seems to be saying there in that passage, don't waste your life on meaningless things of the world that are going to pass away. Don't waste your life on trivial, small things of the world. What are you living for? What are you investing your life in? Are you investing your life in kingdom issues? You know, it's easy to get caught up in just small things that don't matter that much, isn't it? Uh, let's think about the context here in 2 Thessalonians. Paul has just written in chapter 2 what we were looking at last week about the return of the Lord. And he's spoken to them about some of the signs that will be involved before the return of the Lord. And so he has warned them about very serious days ahead. Folks, can anybody dispute the fact that we're in very serious days today? I mean, just read the headlines. 
And just look at what all is going on in the world. We're in very serious days. And all around us, there's many challenges for the church to face. And so how should we be living? How should we be conducting ourselves? What should we be about? And Paul begins picking up on this theme in chapter 3. He's actually going to mention several things before the chapter finishes. Uh, but we're going to start... Uh, tonight what he he is asking of them. Uh, he's going to ask several things of them so that their time will not be wasted. And specifically tonight, he is going to ask for prayer. And so we see here that servants of Christ need to be linked together and we need to be supported through prayer. And what's more astounding to think about here is this is the Apostle Paul making this request. In the early missionary efforts of the church, I can't think of anybody who did any more. And yet, here's a man who's acknowledging the need for strong dependence upon the Lord. Our ministries, our Christian lives are nothing. We can accomplish nothing without Christ. If we expect to do anything lasting, anything fruitful, we need the Lord to be in it and the Lord to bless it and bring fruit from it. And if we're going to see that happen, we as the people of God are going to have to be on our knees and faces before God. We're going to have to be men and women of prayer. And so Paul is desiring that they would enter into this prayer covenant with him. And folks, I think it shows something that regardless of what your gift is in the body of Christ, regardless of what your place is in the body of Christ, there's something you can be doing for the whole body. You can be lifting all of your brothers and sisters up in prayer so that God will accomplish through that church body what God wants to accomplish. Again, we need to be people of prayer. It's no accident that in Mark's Gospel, Mark 1.35 tells us right from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry that he got up very early in the morning before anybody else did and went to a very private and secluded place and was spending time there with his heavenly Father. This is Jesus, the only perfect one who's ever lived. The life of Jesus itself ought to show you and me how important it is to be in prayer. If Jesus needed to be in prayer with the Father, how much more do I need to be in prayer? How much more do you need to be in prayer? And so it's really not surprising to see Paul's call to prayer here to the Thessalonian church. I want you to see with me, first of all tonight, God's servants need prayer. Verse 1, he says, In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. You know, over in Ephesians 6, where Paul speaks of spiritual warfare, that we're involved in spiritual warfare, he talks about all the individual pieces of the armor being put on, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. He names them all one by one. How does he close that list? Does anybody remember? how we need to constantly be praying in the Spirit. After we're spiritually equipped 
be involved in spiritual warfare using the resources God has given to us, we need to be engaged in prayer. As successful as Paul had been in the spread of the gospel, he invites the saints at Thessalonica, as he did the saints at Ephesus, both congregations, to actually be a part of his ministry with him through prayer. He's wanting prayer partners as he goes about doing his work of preaching the good news and of reaching people for Christ, reaching Gentiles, a Gentile mission, and also witnessing to Jews and planning churches. He wanted these congregations to be partners together with him in prayer. They may could not go everywhere with him physically, but they could go with him wherever he was through prayer, praying for his need, being intercessors. And so he unapologetically asked for their support in that regard. Now, in the Greek text here in this verse, <clears throat> the word prayer is loaded forward. In, in Greek language, in New Testament Greek, one of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways you could emphasize something is just move it closer to the beginning of a sentence. And it would get more emphasis that way. And that's what he does here with prayer. And he also mentions it in, in the present, present imperative. In the present imperative. In other words, he's pointing out to them that prayer is a continuing need. It's a very important need. The most important need in the church. Remember what he said in 1 Timothy 2 to Timothy? When you gather together for public worship, first of all, let there be prayers made for everybody, especially leaders in the world that channels for the carrying of the gospel will be kept in place. Prayers to be given a priority. And it's a continuing need. We shouldn't say, you know, we, we prayed for this last week and we prayed for this last week and we prayed for some of these others last week. We don't need to pray for them again. It's a continuing, urgent need. Now, obviously, as a minister of the gospel myself, I would like, like to ask the same of you that Paul's asking of this congregation. And I know I speak for all of our staff in that regard, that you would pray for us. Undergird us in prayer. Be prayer partners in the ministry with us. But I want you to notice that the prayer is not simply for them or for Paul. Look at what he's asking here specifically. It's for the Word of God. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Pray that it would be, be sped along. I love some of the images Paul gives in 1 and 2 Thessalonians of, of the word of God. In chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, remember Paul spoke of how the Thessalonian church had trumpeted forth the gospel clearly. You remember that? They had trumpeted 
four. Very picturesque language there, right? Like a trumpet player. A very clear, loud call. And that's how they had been with the Word of God. Here he uses the image of a runner speeding along with the Word. That the Word would be like a runner moving along. It may be an allusion to Psalm 147, verse 15, where it says, His word runs very swiftly. He pictures the prayers of the saints as helping, helping along the word of God to be swift and honored and effective. He wants the Word of God to be well received among others the the same way the Word of God was received by the Thessalonians. Remember, again, 1 Thessalonians 1, how he says that they had received the Word and that they had received it and how it had changed their lives and they had turned from idols to the true and the living God and they had received the Word of God so well, he said, we don't even need to speak to others about you because everybody in Macedonia and beyond, they know the reception that you gave to the Word and to us. They know what kind of men and women you became as you received the Word with gladness. And it changed your life. It transformed your life. And so now Paul is telling them who've been changed by the Gospel... Would you pray for me as I preach the same gospel to others that others would receive it the way you did? That they would be transformed by the gospel the way you were transformed by the gospel. That's what he's asking them to join him in. You know, in Isaiah 55, turn back to Isaiah 55 with me for a minute. Because in Isaiah 55, There's a promise made there. You may remember what that promise is. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 9. And we'll read down through verse 11. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to, excuse me, and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Isn't that a wonderful promise? God's word is not going to return void. Then in Romans 10, remember what Paul said in Romans 10? He speaks to this issue too about the Word not being void. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You want to grow your faith? Be in the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Somebody says, boy, I wish my faith would grow. Be in the Word more. And folks, God has chosen to use the preaching and teaching of His Word to bring about faith. 
Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, Timothy, you learn the scriptures from childhood that are able to make one wise unto salvation. And he went on to say to Timothy, Timothy, this is why you need to now preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it's not. Preach the word. Because it made you wise in salvation. Now you preach it so other people will hear and they'll be made wise unto salvation. They'll be transformed. Paul's asking this of the Thessalonians. You've been, you heard it. You received it. You were transformed by it. Now you need to pray for others as they hear the same word that they would receive it the way you did. They'd be changed by it the way you were changed by it. Folks, this is why in the Protestant Reformation there was a renewed focus upon preaching of the Word. It's why in Baptist churches, for instance, that the pulpit was moved to the center of the stage. Not so eyes are on the preacher, but so that eyes and ears are on the Word of God. That the Word of God will have its proper place in worship. God accomplishes His purposes through the preaching of the Word of God. Remember Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones? You remember that? A man of God was to take the Word of God, preach the Word of God to the people of God, and what would be the result of a man of God preaching the Word of God to the people of God? Those bones would live again. God would stir them and there would be life. And so this is why Paul is asking for the prayers of the Thessalonians as he goes into other regions preaching the Word. That the Word would be honored, that it would run along rapidly, that it would be received, and uh, that the response would be what it had been at Thessalonica. God has chosen to use the preaching and teaching of the Gospel to save sinners and build His church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. But he went on to say to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The parable of the soils indicates that some seed falls on hard soil some falls on shallow soil, some falls on cluttered soil, but some falls on good soil. And so we need to pray in your Sunday school classes. Be praying for your teacher. Pray for us in the church services. Whoever's teaching, whoever's preaching, not just pray for us, pray for other pastors and churches as well. That the Word would be like seed falling on good soil that would produce fruit. Again, that's Paul's request to them here. <clears throat> Folks, you may not know it, but every Sunday morning now here in that room, right in behind the ash balls, the prayer room, the deacon of the week, there's at least one person in there every Sunday morning praying for the services. Oftentimes, his wife and others join him in there, and they're praying for what's going on next door. 
praying for the word. And so again, the first petition here is that they would pray for him, pray for the preaching of the gospel, and pray that it would have a good reception among others. Secondly, I want you to see God's servants need protection. Look at verse 2. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. Leon Morris, a key commentator on First uh, and Second Thessalonians, he comments that the use of the aorist tense here plus the definite article with wicked and evil men suggests strongly that Paul has some particular situation of opposition in mind here. A situation that Paul doesn't name, but a situation that the Thessalonians would know exactly what he was talking about. Folks, Paul was not adverse to calling <coughs> men wicked and evil if they were indeed wicked and evil. We live in such a politically correct climate, don't we? And people are afraid to call things like they are oftentimes. But there are evil and wicked people out there. And when we gather here, when we send mission teams out to other places, there are some people that that doesn't mean anything to. Some of the people our teams go to, some of the people... We've had teams talk about some folks that were openly hostile to them. Some people would rather see mission teams fail than succeed. We live in that type of age. It's very possible to run into enemies of the cross. Missionaries report that in remote lands, in some of these remote tribal, tribal lands where there's witch doctors, the witch doctors will do all kinds of incredible stuff to try to get in the way of the missionaries there who are spreading the gospel. They don't want the gospel to succeed. The gospel succeeds. The witch doctor's influence in that community is going to go away, Right? The preaching of the gospel threatens some. Paul points out here, not all have faith. And folks, we're seeing something today. More and more missionaries out there are dying on fields around the world. I don't know if you realize this or not. I've told you before, there were more martyrs for the gospel in the 20th century than in all 19 centuries before that put together. I don't know if you realize that or not. More martyrs for the sake of the gospel in the 20th century alone than the first 19 centuries combined. And as the 21st century begins, it's not beginning any better. There are very dangerous places in the world where missionaries serve. People with wicked motives they don't like the gospel. They don't, they don't like the good news about Jesus Christ. And so what's Paul doing here? Paul's asking the Thessalonians, just 
not only pray for me as I preach the word, that the word would spread along quickly and be received as it was among you, but pray for us as well. You remember Paul had traveling companions. When he went, he had a missionary team. Uh, and he said, pray for us as we're going into these lands that God would protect us because we run into evil and wicked people. All you got to do is, all the Thessalonians would have to do is remember their own history. When, when Paul went to Thessalonica in Acts 17 and started preaching the gospel, boy, a major riot broke out in the town. And the other believers had to get Paul out of town. And he went down to Berea, a city nearby. And when folks at Thessalonica heard that Paul had gone to a nearby town, they got together and went down to Berea to try to stop him there. That's the type of opposition to the gospel Paul faced right there at Thessalonica. So Paul is essentially saying, you know, you know what happened in your own city. And what happened in your own city is happening in other places. As me and my missionary companions go and take the gospel into, into these areas and plant new churches. Same thing's happening. And you saw how they tried to do me harm. Others are continuing to try to do that. Pray for us that we'll be protected. Folks, we need to be awake to the fact that there's spiritual warfare out there. Amen. A third thing I want you to see. God's servants need to remain confident in the ability of God. Verse 3, he says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. Now, Understand what's going on here. In the midst of all of these challenges that he's just spoken of, what's the beautiful promise? God's in control. God's faithful. And there's an interesting play on words here. Verse 2 ended by saying, not all men have what? Faith. Verse 3 opens by saying, but God is faithful. In the midst of difficult circumstances, we always need to keep the faithfulness of God in mind. God is never far from the lives of His children. He is ever-present. He's the present help in time of trouble. Now, here again, there's something interesting in the Greek construction in verse 3. Paul writes, God is faithful... Now, in the grammatical construction here in, in the Greek language, believe it or not, the verb is, is not necessary. Okay? It could just simply read, God, faithful. And in fact, that's how it shows up in other places where God and faithful is combined. 1 Corinthians 1.9, for instance. 1 Corinthians 10.13. 2 Corinthians 1.18. God, faithful. But here Paul inserts, is. And again, as commentators point out, Paul's just, he's simply showing emphasis. Paul is saying, folks, 
God is faithful. He really is. He really is. And sometimes in difficult circumstances, we need to remember that. That God is faithful. He really is. He says God will be faithful, first of all, to strengthen you. You'll not be left to your own resources. I think we'll have Jesus told the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Folks, believers don't live in the world without God's help and strength. Now, God's help and strength may not immediately be visible to the naked eye, but God's help and strength is there. And I'm sure you've experienced it before. And then secondly, Paul also gives them gives them the assurance God will protect them, help them and protect them. He says He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. And the construction here can go either way. Protect them from evil, as the King James has it, or protect them from the evil one, as most other translations now say. Uh, there's the definite article. So literally it would be protect us from the evil or protect us from the evil one. And it's probably the context is in favor of the evil one. Not just protect us from the evil out there, but the evil one. Because Paul has been speaking of people opposing them. He wasn't just talking about something bad in the air. Dark circumstances. He's talking about people intent on doing him harm. And people that will be intent on doing the Thessalonians harm. And so he's reminding them that God will look after them. Then in verse 4... Paul expresses a confidence that will rise to the challenge that he's given them. He says, we have confidence in the Lord about you that you're doing and will continue to do what we command. And then in verse 5, Paul trusts that God will lead them into the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. In the Gospels, we see the model given to us by Christ Himself. He turned to God in prayer. And what did Christ do? He persevered where there was opposition. And so believers can be assured that as we follow the example of Christ, He will establish us more and more in the faith. And as Paul points out here in verse 5, God will finish what He starts. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. He's assuring them that God and His grace will be sufficient for every need they have regardless of what they face in life. Folks, we need to be reminded of that. Yes, He's calling on them to think about all the evil and the evil people in the world just so they'll understand the culture that they're in. But the real focus he wants them zeroing in on is the fact that God is greater than all of this. God is able to sustain them and carry them through and be with them and help them. 
There may be a lot of junk going on in the world, but it's not out of God's control. Amen. Amen. Well, what are some lessons? Prayer and preaching go together. Prayer and preaching go together. In fact, prayer helps ensure the success of preaching. Secondly, no servant of God gets so big that he or she does not need the prayers of the saints. Thirdly, prayer can actually have an impact on the reception of the Word of God. Prayer can actually have an impact on the reception of the Word of God. And then lastly, prayer is effective not only in the preaching of the Word, but in spiritual warfare against the evil one and the harm he would try to cause. It's a short passage, powerful passage. Let me just read it one more time in closing. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people who not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Folks, don't ever forget the ministry, preaching, teaching the gospel, sending missionary teams out. The work of the gospel and prayer go together, hand in hand. Okay? And it's a way you can participate, whether it's with me, one of the Kevins preaching, your Sunday school teacher, the missionary teams we send out. It's a way that you can be a part of the preaching and sharing that's going on. You can pray. Amen.